Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. We'll be reading, I will be reading from the NIV version, and I encourage you to follow along. For any of you who wish to follow along in the Red Pew Bibles, uh, the passage starts on page 823. We are continuing our study of the book of Galatians, which was written by Paul to the churches in Galatia. So, Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Fourteen years later, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders, for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter rose, arose because some fake brothers, some false brothers, had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearances. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, when they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that they should go to the Gentiles. Sorry, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then? that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by the faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Val. Good morning. What a delight it is to be together. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. My call this morning is to uh, unpack this uh, passage of Scripture for us and to help us to see and understand what um, God is saying to us in this passage. Uh, we uh, respond to God's revelation to us as a church community um, 
through uh, in community. So we have a connection time that will follow as then we gather the kids and all together we respond uh, to God in, uh, in uh, worship, in uh, giving of our offering, giving in, of, our, of our praise, in uh, seeking Him in prayer. This uh, passage this morning in Galatians chapter 2 is one of the most significant passages in the New Testament, in my humble opinion. It, uh, it's not a passage, you know, many of you, uh, maybe in your homes, and depending on the culture, um, have like cross-stitch um, scripture verses, right? Hands up, if you in your home have a cross-stitched passage of scripture somewhere hanging on your wall in your home. I, I've been in many of your homes, I know that you do. Some of you have, uh, have uh, uh, mugs with scripture verses on them, maybe even a t-shirt if you're like, if you're really out there. Um, so, so no one has Galatians chapter 2 cross-stitched on their wall, right? Not even Titus was circumcised, right? No one has that on their t-shirt. No one's, no one's got that on their mug. But this is one of the most important, most significant passages in the entire New Testament. One of the seminal points in church history. As the Apostle Paul recounts his uh, visits with the other apostles. You see, Paul uh, was, as we read, uh, an apostle to the Gentiles, which meant that his call was to bring the gospel of Jesus to those who were non-Jewish by ethnicity and religion. And so he would travel around the region of Asia Minor and he would plant churches. He would plant the gospel in these communities, in these cities. And the gospel would take root and churches would be birthed. And uh, he did that all throughout the region of Galatia. And these churches thrived. They flourished as they believed the, the gospel. But Paul is writing this letter because he is so um, frustrated. He's so upset that these uh, churches have abandoned the gospel that he preached. We, we saw last week in chapter 1 where Paul, he writes, he says, I'm astonished that you have forsaken the gospel I preached. You've embraced another gospel, which is no gospel. You've embraced another message, which is not good news. It's no gospel. It's not good news. You have embraced something in which Yes, faith in Jesus, but it's Jesus plus your obedience to the the law of Moses. It's Jesus plus your uh, contribution that makes you acceptable to God. And so Paul is frustrated. We know that he's frustrated because in the next chapter, in chapter 3, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Like that's, he's frustrated. He's like, I can't believe that you have taken the gospel that I've preached to you. This gospel that Jesus plus nothing is, why, is how you're accepted to go, by God. You've taken that gospel of Jesus plus nothing and you've added to it. You've embraced this false teaching. You've embraced this other gospel which is no good news. And you have, um, you've been bewitched. You've been under, cast under a spell almost. How could you do that? How could you do that? He's frustrated. And so he is... Um, and so these false teachers who are coming into Galatia and saying, yeah, you need, it's to, to belong to the family of God, you need to believe in Jesus, and you need to become functionally Jewish. So guys, you need to be circumcised, uh, you need to follow the dietary restrictions, you need to follow the, all the Jewish ceremonial laws, the laws of Moses. We're not going to get into um, all of the distinctions this morning of um, the law 
Um, that, that's coming later in Galatians. He's going to break that down more clearly. And it's like, you're like, well, Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not kill. Is that now up for grabs? Um, and, and, and we'll get into that, okay? But so for this morning, we, all we need to understand is that he's talking about the ceremonial laws, the laws by which you become clean and acceptable to God in worship. And, and, and what he's saying, Paul is saying is that by following them, that you add nothing to your acceptability to God. That Jesus has come and he's fulfilled all of the law's demands. He's fulfilled all of the ceremonial law's demands. He's done everything it is to make you clean and acceptable before God. To come into worship, to relate to God. He's done it all. You have to add nothing to that. That's what Paul's saying. But the charge that these false teachers were making against Paul is that the, the gospel that Paul preached is different than the, apostle, than the other apostles. The other apostles, if you know the, the story of, uh, of the gospels and of the book of Acts, the other apostles were taught by Jesus throughout his ministry on earth, um, uh, before his death and resurrection. And, uh, and Paul, after Jesus was resurrected, ascended to heaven, Paul was one of the opponents of the early church and was persecuting them. And, but Jesus, on the road to Damascus, right, shines a light, speaks to Paul, calls him into ministry. Jesus, he becomes a follower of Jesus. He puts his faith in Christ. And uh, as he describes in chapter 1 of Galatians, he's, he goes to Arabia and is taught by Jesus himself this gospel that he preached. But these false teachers are saying, Paul isn't a real apostle. Paul's message, Paul's gospel is one he made up. And it's different. It's a different gospel. It's a different message than the one that the other apostles preached. If you really want to follow, be a follower of Jesus, follow the ministry of Peter. Follow the ministry of John. Follow the ministry of James. Other apostles. And, Peter's, and, and so here in Galatians chapter 2, Paul is saying, Actually, I, I need to tell you that after I was instructed by Jesus himself, I went to Jerusalem and I met with these other apostles because I was afraid that I've run in vain. I was, I was afraid that there would end up with this split in the church. And, I, and he was unwilling to share his, the church with those who preached no gospel, this other gospel. He says I was, he was afraid that he had run in vain. He was afraid that this early movement of followers of Jesus was going to be fractured and splinter. And that he would be uh, you, uh, divided from the other apostles. And so he goes and he meets with Peter and James and John. And, and, um, and, and it, what, the key verse there in that first section of the passage this morning is verse 6. He says, they added nothing to my message. This message that I was preaching of Jesus plus nothing equals everything, they added nothing to it. They agreed with me. As I, as I laid before them the gospel that I preached to you, that it's only through belief in Jesus that you're acceptable before God, that you enter into relationship with God, only through the merits of Jesus, they added nothing. And I even brought a test case along. I brought Titus. I brought this uncircumcised Greek guy along with me, and presented him as a test case as a follower of Jesus who was not circumcised after believing in Jesus. And they didn't require him to be circumcised. Right? Now, none of us here are arguing for Jesus plus circumcision as the way to be accepted for, for God. I know the guys certainly are not. But the point here for us is that we all have this tendency. We all have this proud inner desire to save ourselves. That we all think we, that we need to contribute something before God. 
In order for God to be happy with us, in order for God to be pleased with us, we need to contribute something to him. And if you don't know that about your heart, if you don't see that religious um, tendency, that default mode of your heart as being religious, if you've been a follower of Jesus for many years and you, and you, don't, and you don't recognize that, you're blind to it because we all have that tendency to add something. We all feel more confident in approaching God in prayer when we think that we've obeyed. We say, well, I've been a pretty good guy this week. I've been a pretty good gal this week. I was helping the poor. I obeyed the Ten Commandments. God must be pretty happy to have me on his team. I think I can pray to you now. But when we've blown it, when we've been selfish, when, we know, when the good that we know that we should do, we didn't do, and when the, the wrong things that we know that we shouldn't do, we did, all of a sudden we're timid in prayer. I, I just can't go to God right now. We all think we've contributed something. Sometimes, sometimes that takes the form of us um, taking our cultural values and, um, and, and kind of imbuing them with uh, spiritual significance. And saying, real Christians, real Christians vote this way. Uh, real Christians dress this way. Real Christians are punctual like I am. Real Christians listen to the music that I listen to or eat the food that I do or are involved in the social action that I'm involved in. We all love to add something. But Paul says we are justified by faith in Jesus. That's the, the key pass, verse in this passage that what Paul is, is, is leading up to is this verse 16. We're not justified by the works of the law. We're not justified by what we do. He says we're justified by faith in Jesus. For Paul, all of the controversy that, that he's exposing here in Galatians, all of this controversy of Jesus plus something or Jesus plus nothing comes down to this foundational truth of justification by faith. Um, many, uh, many of us grew up in uh, Christian traditions where we memorized catechisms as children. One of the catechisms of the, of the church, um, the, primarily the Presbyterian tradition, is called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And um, the catechisms are, are um, they're divided by questions and then an answer that you memorize. And it's a beautiful way, really, of learning theology, of learning the truths of the gospel, the truths about who God is and the truths of, of the scripture. And, and so uh, one, of the tr- one of these um, catechisms, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, says this. What is justification? It's on the screen. And it answers this question this way. Justification is an act of God's free grace. So it, God is acting. And it's out of free grace, wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed, I'll explain that in a minute, imputed to us and received by faith alone. Two key words there, pardon and imputed. Pardon and imputed. Where justification is an act of God's grace, free grace, apart from merit, apart from earning, where he pardons us. 
where we go from being in a, in, a, in a position legally before God of being guilty, and he declares us innocent. He pardons us of our offenses against him. He pardons us of our rebellion against him. All of us by nature have declared war on God and fired the first shot against him, and he pardons us. And so we're no longer guilty before him. We're now innocent. And he not only, not only does he clear us of our guilt, he imputes to us, which is a word that means like it's an accounting word. It means like credited to, the account of. He, he credits Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' right relationship, and Jesus' obedience. He credits that to your account. And so it's justification means that Jesus lived the life I should have lived, and that, is count, that counts for me. And he died the death I should have died, and that counts for me. And so now God can relate to me on the basis of how, what Jesus deserves. Jesus got what I deserved, so now that we can receive what Jesus deserved. That's justification, and it's received by faith. Faith is how the soul lays hold of this. It's an empty hand. It's a receiving, not an achieving. You lay hold of this through faith. God looks at us. You, can, you think of, this is how I learned it as a kid justification. God looks at me just as if, just as if I never sinned and always obeyed. God sees me just as if I never sinned. Why is this so important? Why is it so important? Justification by faith. Paul says it will free us. He says these false brothers were trying to steal the freedom they had in Christ. They were, they were trying to make us slaves again. Failure to embrace justification by faith alone leads to slavery. But a receiving of, of Jesus' justification through faith leads to freedom. I want to see two aspects of this freedom in this passage. Freedom, first of all, of acceptance. Freedom of acceptance, which is really a freedom from rejection. The freedom of acceptance. We all care deeply about approval. Right? We need, in varying degrees, we need a positive verdict spoken out over our life. Well done. It's from the earliest ages. Daddy, aren't I pretty? Daddy, aren't I strong? Hey, Dad, watch this. Watch me sink this basket. We want people to speak well of us. We want people to think well of us. Aren't, aren't, isn't, isn't he smart? Isn't he well-spoken? Doesn't he care so much about other people? This desire that we have, this craving that our souls have for approval of other people are really just surface rumblings of a deeper desire. Sur- surface rumblings of a deeper desire and we're, we're enslaved to the opinions of people because we desperately need the, the approval of God. That's, that's my story. That's my story. Desperately needing the approval of other people. Desperately needing other people to think well of me. Many, many of you know, a couple of years ago, I went through a, a, a season of physical, emotional, spiritual burnout. 
And as a, uh, in my season of restoration, my season of repentance, the, the, the nail on the head of what I needed to repent of was seeking the approval of other people. Needing others to think, wow, he's smart. Wow, he's, he's, he's really accomplishing a lot, isn't he? And so working to the point of exhaustion and past that point, cutting corners, just so others would think well of me. But until the opinion of the one who matters most, matters the most, we'll stay in that bondage. But justification frees us from this because we have the approval, we have the acceptance, we have the word of favor, we have the smile of the one who matters most. And that can free us from the accusations of our own conscience. Many of us are in bondage to accusations of your own conscience, of shame and guilt. But we've been justified, we've been pardoned, and the righteousness of Jesus imputed, credited to me. That's the only comfort. That's the only comfort that matters. The catechism, actually, that I grew up on, it's called the Heidelberg Catechism. And so as a kid, I had to memorize this one. This is a long one. This, is like, this makes the Westminster Shorter Catechism seem like child's play, let me tell you. Heidelberg Catechism, question 60. Question and answer 60. I don't even know how many there are. I forget, but there's, like, there's over 100 of them, of these things that we had to memorize. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. That is, although my conscience accused me that I have grievously sinned against all the commandments of God, and I've kept none of them, and, and I'm still prone to all evil. Yet God, without any merit of mine, of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. As if I had committed nor had any sin and had myself accomplished all the obedience which Christ has fulfilled for me. If only I accept such benefit with a believing heart. Isn't that beautiful? That was written a long time ago. It's beautiful and it's true. Even though I've sinned, and even though I'm still sinning and prone towards sin, out of mere grace, pure grace, all grace, God treats me just as if I had never sinned. Just as if I had never sinned. He affirms us. Talked last week about insecurity being the enemy of intimacy. Insecurity is the enemy of intimacy and relationship. If we're unsure of what, how someone feels about us, we won't be, become vulnerable before them. We won't open up. And we won't extend relationship with them. We won't become intimate with them. But God says, I'm for you. I see you just as if you live the life of Jesus. And friends, we don't enter this relationship by faith and then maintain it by our own efforts and works. And so what makes you confident to approach God in worship? What makes you confident this morning to approach God in prayer? Is it your obedience? Because again, if we fail, when we fail, then we're going to start keeping our distance. Listen to Louis Burkhoff definition of justice, uh, justification. Justification is a declaration of God, not on the basis of an existing condition, but on that of a gracious imputation. A declaration which is not in harmony with the existing condition of the sinner. 
The judicial ground for all this special grace which we receive lies in the fact that the righteousness of Christ is freely imputed, again, credited to us. It's this declaration, not in harmony with the existing condition of the sinner. So Martin Luther made famous this Latin phrase, simul, simul peccator, just at peccator, which means at the same time, a sinner and just. A sinner and in right relationship with God at the very same time. You see, this is a part, this declaration of God is not in harmony, is not in line with our actual condition. It doesn't mean because God declares you holy, sinless, and pure, doesn't mean that in your daily life you're holy, sinless, and pure. It means we still continue to sin. But sanctification is the word that theologians give to that process whereby God, by His Holy Spirit, makes you what you already are. God declares you holy, even though you're not holy. In sanctification, then, God makes you what you already are. He makes, is in the process of making you holy. He declares you obedient, even though you're not, but sanctification is the process whereby He starts making you obedient to Jesus. It's contrary to our actual condition. And yet, as we follow Jesus and trust in him, he makes us what we already are. And so we can be plagued by these questions. You know, am I sincere enough? Do I sin too much? Like the answer is yes, right? You sin too much. Like all of us sin too much. None of us are sincere enough. None of us pray enough. But the gospel comes from the outside in. It says, the theologians call it an alien righteousness. It's from outside of us. The right standing with God is from outside of us and makes us right. It's a declaration of God. So how does God respond to us when we sin? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you receive this by faith, if you receive what Jesus has done for you by faith, how does God respond to you when you do sin? Great answer is in 1 John chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So making clear, don't go on sinning that grace may abound, as Paul writes elsewhere. I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Again, John is is talking in judicial terms, in legal terms. And he's saying, when you do sin, we have an, as some translations say, we have an advocate with the Father. We have a defense attorney with the Father in the court of God. In the courtroom of God, as as our enemy and our own conscience brings accusations against us and say, he's failed again. He was so self-centered this week. Look at he was he had these impure thoughts. Look at as the accusations are brought against us. He can't possibly be in relationship with you, God. He deserves condemnation. She deserves to be rejected. We have a we don't have to make our own defense. We have a defense attorney. We have an advocate who stands up on our behalf and his defense has two points. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is righteous. And he he stands up before the Father And he says, it's not on the basis of their righteousness. You can relate to them on the basis of my righteousness. Because his second defense is, he is the atoning sacrifice. 
he took what we deserve so we can take what he deserves. Our sin credited to Jesus' account, so his righteousness credited to our account. Jesus is our defense attorney, and he's never lost a case. He's the modern-day Ben Matlock. Second, freedom. Freedom not only of rejection, freedom from rejection, freedom of acceptance. Secondly, freedom of humility. Receiving justification by faith frees us from superiority. Paul goes on and he's describing this situation with Peter, right? And he says, I opposed him to his face because he was not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. What Peter was doing is um, he was living like a Gentile. He was experiencing the freedom, the cultural freedom that came through Christ, that he didn't have to follow these ceremonial laws. But Jesus actually, God revealed this to him in a vision. We read about that in the book of Acts where... Don't call unclean what I've called clean. You can go. You can have fellowship with Gentile people. You can, um, you can relate and be friends with and eat with people who aren't Jewish without becoming unclean because Jesus is your cleanliness. Jesus is your acceptance with the Father. But Peter, kind of, he, he embraces that, but then he pulls back out of fear, out of hypocrisy. He pulls out and he begins to... Um, he begins to withdraw from Gentile people and treating them like second-class citizens. Second-class citizens in God's kingdom. Again, you see that grace, grace is so illogical. Grace is so shocking to us. Our intuition is towards earning and superiority. Paul's saying, to, he, as he stands up to Peter, he says, you know, your Jewishness does not commend you to God. It's not your Jewishness. It's not your um, obedience in the ceremonial law that commends you to God. It's Jesus. And the reality is, is that we uh, feel superior to those who don't have what we trust in. That if we're trusting in something other than Jesus for confidence in our relationship with God, we're going to actually end up looking down on and despising those who don't have what we have. That, w- that those who don't have what we're trusting in, we're going to start looking down on and feel superior to them. And so if you're um, trusting in your doctrinal uh, understanding for uh, your relationship with God, you're going to look down on those who have a different doctrinal position on certain things. If you're trusting in your sophistication and your uh, education, as like, God must think I'm pretty great, You'll look down on, you'll despise those who are less sophisticated, less educated. If you're, if you're uh, relying on you being heterosexual as the reason why God loves you and accepts you, you'll look down on those who are different than you. If you're look, if, trusting in your political views or your wealth, you'll look on, down on those who are not so wealthy or who have a different political perspective or ethnicity. Or maybe you've, you're, you're trusting, well, hey, I'm a member of this church. God must be pretty happy with me. And we're trusting in our church membership. We'll look down and despise those from other churches, other denominations, other members of the body of Christ. But when your only hope is grace, when your only hope is grace, that I don't deserve it, when we only hope in grace, we don't have any grenades to lob at others. So be vulnerable for a moment. Who do you despise? What kinds of people do you look down on? We all despise certain kinds of people. 
So who do you look down on? And the answer to that question may lead you to the things that you trust in. The things that which you're basing your justification on other than Jesus. It's the Jesus plus this. Peter became a racist because he was out of line with the truth of the gospel. And Paul, the beauty of this is that Paul doesn't bring Peter and say, Hey, Peter, here's the no racism rules. Here's the law. He could go to places in the scripture that says um, treat people equally. That He could go and make a biblical argument. God expects no racism in his people. God expects you all to treat people equally. He doesn't do that. He doesn't bring Peter law. He brings Peter gospel. Because the gospel is actually what changes our hearts. The gospel is which, what actually humbles us. The gospel humbles us and says, you're so desperate, you need a savior. You needed the son of God to come and die for you. And you relate to me all in grace. And so we're all on equal playing field. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what you've accomplished, no matter what, we're all on the same playing field. The gospel humbles us. And so the gospel is actually what changes our hearts. He doesn't bring Peter the rules. He brings Peter grace and gospel. He says, let's act in line with the truth of the gospel. And he, and he preaches to him about justification by faith. He says, you're not, you're not justified before God because of your Jewishness. And so treat people equally. So the gospel gives us this freedom, this freedom of humility, the humility with one another, but it also gives us, right, the freedom of acceptance, the freedom of confidence with God. Humility with one another and confidence with God, boldness even with God. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for this good news. We pray, Lord, that these deep truths would take root in us, these deep truths of justification through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, would take root in us. And expose, Father, the areas in our hearts which we're despising other people or we're giving in to, to the accusations of our own conscience and where we feel timid with you, where we feel unworthy before you, would you convince us of Jesus' worthiness for us? And where we feel worthy with each other, where we feel superior to others, convince us of our lowly position before others and make us a humble people who trust only in your grace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.